But, but I want, to, want you to understand this. There is still yet a lot of mystery uh, because we do not have every single detail that there is. We have the details of which God gave to Noah and his revealed word here. Uh, however, I, I am going to encourage you this. Um, in your booklet where you see AIG, um, that, that's not a fancy commentary. That means answers in Genesis, all right? I, I encourage you, go to the ark. How many of y'all went to the ark this past fall? Few of you, how many of you don't remember if you went to the ark or not? <laughs> but you had a good time. Did you learn a lot? Let me ask you that. You learned some things you never knew before? All right. So if you don't learn something tonight, that's fine. Go see one of them that raised their hand. They'll tell you all about it. Uh, but no, I encourage you. Answers in Genesis has a wonderful website. They have a plethora of books, free articles online. They have a search bar. You can type in any question just about you, God, about Genesis, ark, flood, you name it, right? They've got a great deal of things. Uh, they're very solid, very biblical. They do their best to get in, and to stick to the Bible. Uh, but we do have to understand that there is much mystery yet to it. Here's the great thing. The Lord has given us what we need to know. And here's what is clear. We don't need to know everything. <laughs> we like to think that we need to know everything, and we like to pretend that we do know everything, but we know very little, even about what God has given to us. Right? So now with that, I want to read verse 14 to 16 here. It says, God speaking to Noah, He says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a, a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lowered second and third stories shalt thou make it. Let's first of all go ahead and do this in our mind. Just about every picture of Noah's Ark that you've ever colored or given to your grandchildren or your Sunday school class to color, go ahead and throw that out the window, all right? Uh, the, the Ark did not look like a little paper sailboat with a giraffe head sticking out, right? There were dinosaurs on that thing. We we'll, might get into that tonight if we can. Uh, this didn't look like what you and I see on so many book covers, right? Now, first of all, we have to use our imagination to some degree because we don't have all the great details yet. God has given us what we need to know about it. This was meant to survive. It was meant to be, as we talked about last week, verse 13, where ark, the idea of it is a, it is a nest, it is a place of protection. It is a place um, where, where one is going to be saved through. It is one where it uh, can be even nurtured and taken care of and all of these things. This is not just something to make a, a cute little coloring book right? There is much here. When we see pictures of the, the ark and, and we see these little coloring books that we give to kids and things, I, I get so sad when I see the, the, these book covers because one, most of them are incredibly inaccurate to, to the biblical understanding of what the ark would have looked like, right? It's not nearly big enough, a multitude of other issues. But have you ever noticed that every time we see the ark, how bright and sunshiny it is? We're talking about this is an ark that is meant to only survive God's wrath upon the earth. It was a dark day. Right? It, it might rain sometimes when the sun's poking out, right? But we're not talking about that sort of rain for 40 days and 40 nights. We're talking about an absolute destruction of the world. And I have not colored one of those coloring pages with Noah's ark where it made me feel like God's judgment was there on that paper. We ought to be teaching our kids about these things. Because if our kids are to know God, they are to know all of God. How He's revealed Himself to us. 
And he is a God who's revealed himself as a God who judges sin, but also, yes, as a God who saves and provides a way like the ark. But it must be given by his grace, but it must be received and entered into by faith. That is the whole point. We often literally, if you will, and pardon the pun, miss the boat when we teach about the ark. I'll pause for laughter. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was a rough one, I know. That's mostly what they teach you in preacher school, okay? That's all we got. A lot of money went into that joke. <laughs> now let's look at verse 14 tonight. Where we left off last week was getting into the gopher wood, all right? We talk about, first of all, this is not wood made out of gophers, nor is it made out of gopher skin. You want to know what gopher wood was? I do too, but we don't know fully, right? We have a lot of guesses. Most commentators tend to uh, put it off as uh, this tree or that tree. Nevertheless, here's what we do know about it. It was there. It was available. It was able to build with and to make something sturdy and also floatable. That's pretty important, right? Especially with a flood coming. Now he says, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Answers in Genesis writes about it. He says, the truth is we are not presently capable of identifying gopher wood with any degree of certainty. And there's a possibility that gopher wood would refer to a kind of tree that is now extinct. Short of finding the actual ark, which almost certainly does not exist anymore, having been lost to decay over millennia, it may not be possible for us to determine what type of wood Noah used to build it. Any, any wood suitable for building a large ship is a plausible candidate for gopher wood. Whatever gopher wood was, we know that Noah used it to construct the ark and that God faithfully protected the ark's inhabitants. Now here's what we have to understand as well about this. Noah here is never described as just this sort of master builder. Who's the master builder? God is. God is the one who's given Noah the plan. He's the one who's given Noah the, the resources. He is the one that is going to keep the boat afloat. It is not going to be Noah's mastery of boat building or shipbuilding that is going to do this. It is going to be God's providential and gracious hand that gives these things and reveals it to Noah, but as well that throughout all the deluge, it is not Noah's faithfulness that protects Noah. It is God's faithfulness that protects Noah. It is not Noah's hand that made such a, a, a sure and, and a fast boat or a, or a sturdy boat. It is God that protects, God that preserves. Now, while there is much mystery here, I do recommend for us to understand, simply take the Bible as the Bible is written. While I don't, know, I don't have to know what gopher wood is, and your mind might wonder, what is it this, was it that? What I do know is this. God gave Noah the instructions. That's His grace. Noah built it. That's faith, right? That's the whole story of the Bible. That is salvation. He says, make thee an ark of gopher wood. He says, then rooms shalt thou make in the ark. Now, this did not just look like those coloring books that we give to our kids where it's a big old U-shaped thing that's sticking mostly up out of the water that looks all topsy-turvy. It's got one little window, and you got the giraffe poking out an elephant's trunk somewhere and all that sort of thing. Like it's just one big room floating, right? There were rooms. There were places for things. There were a variety of rooms for a variety of purposes, right? Storage, living quarters, there has to be stalls for the animals and even storage for the things for the animals, right? You ever do this? You ever, um, you ever just leave your, your dog with everything that you have for them in one particular spot and then they tear it all up? Had that happen one time. Squirrel, uh, our dog, we got him. He was just a puppy. And I, I had his food out of the way. It wasn't in his crate because if it's in his crate, he can kill it. He can eat it. So I stuck it on top of his crate. Makes logical sense to me. It's safe. It's protected. He can't reach it. He doesn't have thumbs. 
Instead, what what does he do? Throughout the day, he is able to, and I only know this later when I find his, his fat belly poking out, he had bitten a hole through the bottom of the bag and had slowly been taken piece by piece. I learned that day. I do not believe that Noah here takes the, the cat food and just goes, well, just see what you got, guys. Or Here you go. This is all you got. Good luck rationing out. Noah takes care of these animals. There is a place for everything. Now, that's the beauty about the ark, and that is truly the beauty about salvation if we think about it. There truly is a place for everything, and there is a place for everyone. And now, it is only received by grace through faith, and what we find here is that the word used in the Hebrew is the idea of nests, which are places of rest, refuge of safety. God is literally nurturing these animals all the way through to provide something greater, to provide a, a new world, if you will, for them to go and to populate or to repopulate. But then notice this. This one is key. Here we've got the ark, right? Made out of gopher wood. All right, so boop, there it is. Do, 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 do. Right, there's the ark. And then what do we got? We've got the room, so there's inside. Notice God starts on the outside, and then in here he describes this, but then he says this. Something that's going to affect the inside and the outside. He says, and thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. Now, how many of y'all ever read and wondered, what is this idea of pitch? What does this mean? Is this just concrete? Is it, is it duct tape, super glue? What is this stuff, right? This is something far greater than all that. The ark was to have pitch within and without. In case you're wondering, that means inside and outside. Now, I don't know much about boat building. I don't know much about riding in boats. I don't like boats. I can swim fine, but just because I can swim fine does not mean I need to go in water that is above my head. Now with this, we see here that I do know this about boat building is that clearly you don't want water getting in the boat, do you? If water gets in the boat and too much water gets in the boat, what happens? It sinks. If you want the boat to float, keep the water out. It's pretty simple. But here's the thing about the word pitch. This is interesting. Phillips writes, When completed, the ark was to be covered inside and out with pitch. The word used for pitch here is the same word used in the Old Testament for atonement. What is atonement? We have in the Old Testament what would be later called the Day of Atonement. Happened one day a year where the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies and he must do so rightly as God had given in the Word. If he doesn't do it rightly, he will be killed. He will have to drag out. Uh, with, a, with a bell around and a, and a rope around his foot, if you will, and he gets taken out. I try it again. But that day of atonement was a day of covering, the day of the price for sin being paid. Now, they had to go through that one day a year, every year. Now, praise the Lord that the precious Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has been slain, and His cry on the cross was, it is finished. There is no more need for another day of atonement. That day of atonement on Calvary's hill was enough. It is the day of atonement. Without that, we would still be having to sacrifice animals. We would still be having to to trust in a day of atonement over and over and over and over and over again. Atonement has been made available. It's acceptance before God is the idea. However, redemption, to be bought back, to be bought by God, not everyone is redeemed, but everyone is redeemable. Notice that. Because the atonement of Christ has been made, the atoning for sin has been done by the finished work of Jesus Christ, the atonement is available. Redemption is available. 
but not all will be redeemed. A universalist would believe that all will go to heaven. That sounds nice, but not all will go to heaven. The same way that we see here in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9, not everyone gets on the boat, do they? But a way had been made. Atonement, if you will. The pitch within and the pitch without had been made so that all may freely enter. However, the only ones saved or redeemed were those that entered in by faith. That means that there was a whole world out there that had neglected the gift that God had provided for them. Salvation is provided by God's grace. It is applied by faith and His promise and His provision. And His promise was that a flood was coming, judgment was coming, but that there was a greater way and that there was provision. There was an ark that had been provided and given. And the ark is a picture of Christ, our Messiah. The promised seed from the very beginning of the fir- uh, after the fall. He says, within and without this pitch. The idea here is that this would have waterproofed the vessel, right? But let's think spiritually here on a deeper level than just a physical boat and a flood. This waterproofs the vessel of salvation, both physical from the flood waters, but even more so from eternity of judgment and wrath, right? This is far greater. How interesting of a picture this is for salvation. Being in Christ, who is the greater ark, is a perfect place of refuge, waterproofed by His finished work. It is Christ that keeps us out of the water and the water out of the boat. It is Christ. His atoning work is the pitch that protects us within and without, that keeps us out of the water and keeps the water out of of us. We must trust and depend upon Christ alone. He is the way. He must be applied. His blood must be applied to our account. We must be found in Him. As we will see, the only safe place from God is in God. The only safe place from His judgment is to know Him and to be in Him. Furthermore, God continues to give Him the instructions on what to do. Here we find that God is orderly. God is giving man what man needs to to be right with Him, to be saved from this coming wrath and judgment. But we also notice this about God is that God did not need a single thing to create, did He? He simply said, let there be. And there was. We find here though that man is not so. Man can't just make a boat by saying, let there be a boat. He must build according to God, according to His instructions, but even more specifically, according to God's provision. It is God who had planted the trees. God who provided the trees. God who spoke the trees into existence. God who had provided the way and had kept the way and made all of these things, all these tools and instruments and given this knowledge to one man and this instruction. The size of the ark was given to Noah to build accordingly. He says, This is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. Meaning, God is not giving Noah here some different options. This is how you're going to do it. Salvation is God's way. It cannot be man's way. Salvation, not just from a flood, but we're talking about in eternity. It can never be God's way. And there's never a thing that you and I can go, well, Lord, have you thought about adding this to the boat? It might make it sturdier, might make it safer, might make it smoother of a ride. 
There's nothing that we can add to God's directions here. There's nothing that Noah can add and say, well, God, what about this for boats? Even if Noah would have been a master boat builder up to this point before the flood or long before even God comes to him, it is God who gives these specific instructions for a reason. He says, this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. He says, the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. God provides enough space in all of that, in all of those dimensions, Length, width, height. Provides everything that Noah needs, his family needs, and the animals would need for their survival during the flood. God provides all that is needed in this. Now, how many of y'all have ever wondered what a cubit is? Right? We use feet, inches, other times, centimeters, millimeters. Is there any others? Huh? Yards? Forgot about that one. Good job. Way to go. I should have known that because of football, right? Anyways, I knew yards was made up of feet, so I knew they had to cover. But anyways, a cubit. A cubit is a measurement that is unfortunately not exactly known how big it was. There's sort of a variation between the cubits. Now, there are variations of cubits in the Hebrew and in the surrounding ancient world. Everything from a Hebrew long cubit, a Hebrew short cubit. We've even got records of Egyptian or Assyrian long and short cubits. These are the different kinds of measurements, but ultimately what we find is that a a, a cubit, generally speaking, vary from about 18 inches to 21 inches. And with this in mind, the actual size of the ark may vary. It could be everything from about 450 to upwards of 550, right? As far as length of feet, that is. Now, uh, Anderson and Genesis, I think they do well. They use a longer Hebrew cubit, which would make the ark, uh, they use about 20 inches. I took, I was curious when I was putting this together, uh, found a measurement, uh, a yardstick, or a, a, so I found something in, the, in my office that I could use to measure stuff out. And I said, well, let's figure it out. A cubit here from the tip of your middle finger to your elbow, and it was 20 inches. That's what Ancient Genesis is using, and it certainly makes sense. That would put the ark at this. If you go by Ancient Genesis, uh, by their, their belief or their recordings or their guesstimations, if you will, is that they would put it at the ark being 510 feet long, 50 feet high, 85 feet wide. That's a big boat. It's a real big boat. Matter of fact, if you go on there, they sort of give you uh, several different things that help you put it in perspective. You could take, uh, I think it's three space shuttles, right, and put them uh, uh, you know, basically head to toe on one or, one or the other, and it would, it would make up uh, about the, the size of the ark. Those things are huge, right? You're looking at uh, uh, one-and-a-half football fields roughly, now, that doesn't seem like a whole lot for us, but if we start thinking about a boat, it's a good-sized boat, isn't it? Matter of fact, it's not just a good-sized boat. It's a boat that is uh, able to protect and provide all that would freely enter in. You say, well, is it big enough for all the world? I believe it could have been, but guess what? All the world would not come. All the world could have, but did not. Nevertheless, God had, by His grace, provided a place for Noah, his wife, his three boys and their wives to enter in to the ark. What we see here is that God gives these specifications. Noah would build it. And everything that Noah did up to this point and through all of this is done, as we see in Hebrews, by faith. The only way that you and I will ever get done for God, what God has called us to do, is by faith. Not one time do we find God saying that he needs Noah's strength or he needs Noah's wit or he needs Noah's wisdom. Rather, God has said, this is what you need and this is how you are to build it. 
Now, in order to build it that way, Noah has to take what God has said and believe it to be so, believe it to be law, believe it to be gospel, if you will, and simply say yes by faith. And here's then what he says about this with the ark. He says and describes about its size uh, there in verse 15. And then he says, A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit thou shalt finish it above. Here what we find about this window. Here's what we talk about with those coloring books and stuff. We think about just the one big square window, and sometimes they have it like on the side of the boat, and a giraffe is doing this out of it and all that sort of thing. You put a window on the side of the boat in the middle of this, what do you think is going to happen? Is water going to get in there? Of course. You don't put windows on the side of it. Side of your house? Sure, maybe, right? I'm not prepping my house for a worldwide flood either, so that's okay. My flood insurance wouldn't cover that anyways, I don't think. Here's what we do know about the window of the ark. Sorensen puts it this way, God instructed Noah to build a window one cubit below the roof line of the ark. This window evidently extended the entire length roof line. It evidently was for admittance of light as well as for ventilation. We have to think, you get in a boat, they've got a lot of variations, a whole lot of things to deal with. They're going to be on this boat, not just for you know a three-day cruise, right? This is 40 days, 40 nights, and then they're on the boat for a whole lot longer than that. We'll get into that as we get into chapter 7 and 8 as we go through here. What we find is that God prepared and given all the instructions needed to bring in air and light, and you need both for life, don't you? If life is to sustain, you have to be able to breathe, you have to be able to have light. It is, it is a multitude of possibilities of what God had allowed for them to do here, and yet, as we said at the very beginning tonight, do we have every single detail about every single detail on the boat? Not one bit, and that's okay. Nevertheless, what we do know is that God has said, you need a window, and then He says this, you need a door, and you need to make some decks, some, some layers to this boat, if you will. He says, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. This is just not one giant room, but rather rooms on different levels and different layers. And more than likely, it is built with ramps because it's a whole lot easier to use ramps than it is just a bunch of ladders. You ever try to get an elephant down a ladder? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? You ever try to get me down a ladder? That doesn't make much sense either. I'm not doing that either. I believe here that God had given them what is needed to move everything in, to move everything out, and to move everything in and around as they needed to. They made it easy and accessible for the workers, which would have been Noah and his family, to go and to take care of all that God had given them. And notice, God had entrusted them with this work. Man is meant to work. Man was designed to work. In fact, God, from the very first person that He entrusts His creation with, He was called to work. Man was Adam. And he had been given a much greater place than a, a, a boat. He'd been given the garden of God, God's presence and His provision, and, and been given it to work and to name the animals. And now the animals that Adam had named, Noah is entrusted to take care of. To see it through to a new day of creation where sin will be wiped out, but yet what we find is that it will not take too long for sin to corrupt once more. Nevertheless, it is a picture that there is going to be a day where God will not bring another worldwide flood, but rather will bring about His judgment and He will purify the world once and for all and forevermore. Now the door here is important. Kidner puts it this way, the door is of obvious importance. Literally, right? You don't have a door, you can't get in. If you don't have a door, you can't get out. Pretty important. But notice as well, he says, and end symbol. Our Lord made much of the figure and the metaphor of the sheepfold. John chapter 10, Jesus says that He's the door, right? He's the way. 
Matter of fact, what we're going to find in Genesis 7 is the beauty of all of this. In Genesis 7, it says in verse 16, and that they went in, male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord invites him in. The Lord shuts him in. The Lord takes care of all this. It is a beautiful picture of salvation in Christ Jesus. Here there were three distinct levels, it appears, instead of the ark, each one serving the purpose of protection from the flood. More than likely, these ramps were built to transport everything in and out, making it a very livable and perhaps even a comfortable place. We often think of it being as, as dingy and dark, but it is hard to tell what exactly it looked like. Nevertheless, we do know this. God provided and protected His people in this. It wasn't that long ago, a few years back, um, that there was a movie that came out in Hollywood called Noah. Did anyone ever watch that movie called Noah that came out by Hollywood? A few of you? Well, I can go ahead and tell you this. It's, it's atrocious. <laughs> it, they, they clearly did not ask Ken Ham about anything on this thing, right? Nor did they even appear to ask God about any of this. They had rock creatures that were talking. They had another man on the boat who was not Noah, his wife, or his three boys, or their wives. So there was a ninth guy in there. And Noah had to fight him. Now, I've read this pretty detailed. There's no verses missing here in my Bible. Is there any in yours? No? I trust God's Word, and there was not another soul on that boat. Nor was there another soul on that boat to fight Noah or any of those things. Nor do we find a time in this, and I don't believe it happened, in the movie, you know what they've got Noah having to do most of his time on the boat besides fight some guy who stowed away on that thing? They're having to plug holes in there. They got water coming in everywhere. They make it awfully scary inside that boat. I don't believe it was so scary inside that boat. It was awfully scary outside of it. That's where the death and destruction was. Death and destruction did not get in that ark. What we find in the ark is that it was the safest place in the world. There was no other safe place in the world at all, actually. You could have climbed the highest mountaintop as the water is rising and you would still look out and find it continuing to rise and you would still be consumed. You could could do anything else. Matter of fact, here's what else could have happened. And Someone else could have watched Noah build a boat and they said, you know, I think I'm going to build a boat too. They could have built the boat exactly as Noah built it. It wouldn't have worked. There could have been another boat built by by Noah's next door neighbor that was also 510 feet long and 85 feet tall. All these things wouldn't have worked. Why? God was with Noah. God was in this boat. God provided this. God protected those that entered in by faith. Noah was not saved by the works of his own hands. He was saved by the hand of God who had given him all that was needed to build this ark, this place of refuge. Now let's look here at verse 17. God is continuing to speak here to Noah and He says, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters. There's no mistaking where these waters come from. There's no mistaking where the judgment comes from because only He, only He, has the right to rule and judge. No one else. He says, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life. 
That means everything that is not in that boat that is alive will die. That's frightening. There were at least millions, if not billion plus people on this world. On this planet. And it had gotten so bad that he had said earlier on in that chapter that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination the thought of his heart was only evil continually. The place was overflowing with sexual perversion and violence everywhere. God, God would not take it anymore. He says, I'll bring about a flood. Destroy all flesh. Do you believe tonight that what God says, He means? Do you believe that when God says that He will, He will? Absolutely. Clearly what we find here is that God says He will, and He did. This is no made-up idea. This is no sort of Sunday school fairy tale once upon a time. This is God said this will happen, and even tells us why it would happen. In this, see that the flood was designed and decreed to destroy everything that was not in the ark. The only safe place during the flood was inside the boat with Noah. I can tell you this, today in the world in which we live, and in the future world of which things are going to get much, much worse, the only safe place from God's judgment is to be in Christ. Not to be in church. When God's wrath comes, just because you are in church is not going to keep the steeple from falling on your head. Does that make sense? When judgment comes, you can be in church. You could be a good person, all you think you are. You could do every amount of good work imaginable. You could even build your own boat, and it will not work. You must be in Christ, and He must be in you. Noah was to build this ark because God was about to bring a flood upon the earth and would save him with his family and one pair of every kind of animal. The flood here is an archaic word coined expressly for the waters of Noah. Isaiah 54, 9 is referenced as well and is used nowhere else except Psalm 29, 10. Here we find as there are some who say that the purpose of the ark was made clear. God intended to bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh because the word translated as earth or Eretz can be translated as either earth or land. Some have postulated that the flood was limited. Today, there are most of the world that does not deny that there was a flood, perhaps even around the time of this. However, the vast majority of them say that it was just a, a merely a localized flood. Have you all ever seen a localized flood? It's scary, isn't it? It's frightening. Uh, what power that, that water has. Water's power, right? It can replenish. You can water your garden with it. You can take a bath with it. You can take a shower with it, right? You, you can brush your teeth with it. Those are all good things. You can even drink it. Wonderful and safe, aren't they? However, enough water can carve a canyon. It can, it can split trees. It can devour homes and villages. It can destroy all life just as quickly, even faster than it can give life. Here he talks and he says, however, the overall context of Scripture makes such a position absurd. One, the purpose of the flood was to destroy the entire human race. A local flood would preclude that. Noah would not have needed an ark. He merely would have needed to travel some distance to high ground. You ever thought about that? It was not a worldwide flood. Noah could just go on a pilgrimage somewhere else. Noah, get your stuff 
and, and go elsewhere, right? Think about this. Later on in Genesis, we're going to see Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed, right? And God is going to take Lot and say, Lot, get out of here. Go. He does not say, he does not say that uh, anywhere in Sodom and Gomorrah will be safe. As a matter of fact, he says all of Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed. So we can't just go to another part of the city. It's not just going to be a localized part. It is going to be localized to Sodom and Gomorrah, but that's the whole entirety of it. Now we think on a grander scale, the flood, this is a worldwide thing. He doesn't just say, I'm going to destroy this part of the earth. He says the whole place is overwhelmed with sin and all of it must be destroyed. Three, there would be no need for every type of living creature to be brought upon the ark. Such a view is propagated by liberal theologians wishing to intermesh Scripture with evolutionary thought. The implications of the flood eradicate the very foundation of evolution with its emphasis upon the geological column of fossils. Here's what happens. We have allowed another worldview, another religion to teach our children and to teach us for the past 80 years. It is a religion that is taught in the school system to believe in evolution. It is not a theory that is taught like a theory. It is a theory that is taught as a faith-based system of religion. Your children, and I grew up this way in public school, I was catechized by evolutionists. I mean, verse by verse, we had every law and every doctrine, we had it memorized. We knew how long the earth had been here. We had heard the millions and the billions of years. We had heard all about how the Bible's not right and all of these things. And we wonder, when we spend 40 hours a week that way and so little time at home teaching and training our children, let alone teaching and training our children inside the church, why we've got so many issues, why we've got so few young people today, not just in church, but believing Christ and trusting in Christ, trusting in His Word, is because we ourselves have not taught and believed and lived and trained others in the Word of God. God says, I will. I will destroy. Perhaps some of the most frightening words that can be uttered. I'll bring a flood. But God has also said that He will bring more judgment. More judgment is to come. And if you are not in Christ, you will perish. And that's exactly what that means. And here's the wonderful thing, though, that even adds to it beyond the fact that God says what happened here in His Word. If you want more proof, you can look at the fact. Philosophically, geologically, uh, anthropologically, all these different things, you study all throughout the world and what you find, nearly every single people group has a story and a history that involves a flood. Now, how in the world would that happen? Easy. A localized flood, right? No. Makes no sense. Do people, you, you ever had, there was a flood that my dad talked about that happened in, in Gladstone years ago. He was, I think, uh, late teens, early 20s. And you know something? People in China don't talk about a flood in Gladstone. Matter of fact, how many of y'all even know where Gladstone is? Okay, one of you, right? <laughs> My point exactly. But you and I talk about this flood, don't we? Why? Because it's worldwide. Matter of fact, we're going to find that it's even more so than just worldwide. It was the fact that everyone that came in the world today at one point can be traced back to people on the boat. If that's not the case, it, it, we're, we're in trouble, right? God has said this is what has happened. This is... Uh, decreed, this is written down, this is written in stone, if you will. Answers in Genesis 
writes about it. He says the reason for these flood stories is not difficult to understand. When we turn to history, uh, we return to the history book of the universe, the Bible, and that's exactly what it is. We learn that Noah's descendants stayed together for approximately 100 years until God confused their languages at Babel. We'll get into that, Genesis 11, 1-9. As these people moved away from Babel, their descendants formed nations based primarily on those languages they shared in common. Through those languages, the story of the flood was shared until it became embedded in their cultural history. Now, you can do this online, Answer to Genesis, multitude of places. Answer to Genesis has a great article about it that shows all the similarities between these different people groups and their beliefs about a worldwide flood in the history of their people. They all have these things in common and many more. Judgment. They all have a deity. They all have a judgment. They all have some sort of reason why the flood was coming and it was all judgment, right? They have a family that, that is saved. They have a boat. They have animals that are preserved, right? They have repopulating being the goal and the answer, right? They have worship. They have a multitude of things that all share these similarities. And yet what we find is that so many of them miss the mark. And why do they miss the mark? Because they refuse to acknowledge the true God of the Bible, the Lord God who truly did create all things in whom there is no other, nor is there any other like our God. What we see tonight as we bring this part to a close is this. Our greatest need is not so much to know what Gopherwood was like, nor is it to know what kind of pitch exactly was used inside and outside the boat, nor is it to even know all the details about how all the rooms were and all the storage was and all the water was and all these things inside the boat. What is our greatest need tonight? It's to trust God. It's to trust what God has said and given and written because to deny this or to stray from this or to add to this or to take away from this, that is where we will get into a world of trouble. This should bring us back to a place where the Scripture alone is not merely our final authority, it is our only authority. There is no other authority outside of the Word of God, and we must trust what God has said. Tonight, let me ask you, do you trust fully and completely what God has said? If so, praise the Lord. Let me ask you, how about those that grew up in your home? What about your grandkids? What about your neighbors? What about the children of our church? What about our next generation? Can we rest our head going, oh, I've passed on a knowledge and a belief and a trust in the Word of God? Have we showed them the way? Have we shown them what it means to believe God at His very Word, to take what God says as truth, because it is truth? Tonight, we need desperately to return back to the simplicity of faith in the Word of God. Us as Christians need that simplicity Trusting what God has spoken. Every time we sin, it is a saying no to the Word of God as truth, as authority. Every time that Satan comes, he comes not with anything really new, does he? He always comes with one thing. Did God really say? And yes, God has really said. We have a book. but We must be in it. And it must be in us. And it must never depart. And we must have it written. We must have it memorized. We must have it meditate. It must be everywhere. Our life must be one saturated by the Word of God. 
or else we'll be in big trouble. We're living in a society, in a world, in a culture today because we have departed from the Word of God. May it end tonight. At least in your home. At least in this church. And may God work as we simply trust Him. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this night. We thank You for Your Word that we can trust it. Lord, that we can trust You because You've given us Your Word. You've given us all that we need to know You. Help us, Lord, to know You. Lord, we often get bogged down in wanting to know all these details and we want to try to make intellectual sense about everything. But God, You're simply God. We must trust You for that. Lord, may we never lose the sight of simple faith of Your Word. Lord, it's not blind. It's just simple. It takes You at what You've said, what You've revealed. Help us to trust You tonight. God, I pray that You would lead us, guide us, direct us. Help us to see in our own hearts, in our own home, in our families, in our friends, everywhere that we are, Lord, that we would make sure that our life is saturated and filled and strengthened by Your Word. Lord, we love and we thank You for this night. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a blessed night. We hope to see you Sunday morning.